0: 30-Year Class Reunion I wrote this in the summertime when we had a 30-Year Class Reunion, and I never really thought that I would share it with more than just a few close friends who were part of that reunion. But now that I've got to the end of the year, I'm thinking it's worth sharing. One of the reasons is because there are so many universal feelings that we tell ourselves aren't universal. So I've been thinking about it, and because I'm struggling to decide which of the many things I should share that I've written this year, I decided I would share this. I arrived at my 30-year class reunion last night with one of my closest friends, Trisha. I spend a lot of time with her and her husband. They were my emotional safety net arriving at the same time as me to an event that was actually very terrifying. The people from high school are some of the scariest people on the planet. It's not that they have anything actually scary about them, but they walked the halls of high school with you when the world was a very frightening place. I was glad we arrived early, because I hated the idea of walking in with a bunch of people already there, which is what happened at the 20-year reunion that my ex-husband attended with me. The importance of high school classmates means a room full of them is totally intimidating. That weighty intimidation is cemented by those high school years being some of the most uncomfortable years of your life. Not by warranted discomfort of any one thing, but because so much happens internally between ninth and 12th grade. They are the insecure years. They form and mold you into the person that you are for the next phase of life, your 20s. It's safe to say now that who I was in my twenties was dictated by who I was shown I was in high school. The dumb teenager I was in high school was super good at jumping to conclusions and making assumptions by always putting unrelated things together through uncertainty and insecurity. That happened and that happened, so this must be true about me. My junior year of high school was so hard that I was scared and totally uncomfortable going into my senior year. It started out on a very rocky foot, with the depression in full swing, and the counseling I had for depression the year before at the forefront of my mind. Not just in my teens, but in my 20s and 30s, I let people tell me who I was. And it's fair to say that started during high school when my mom took me to get counseling. The counselor was not a school counselor. She was a 500-pound woman who sat on two chairs. My visits were arranged by our church leader, so I don't think my mom had anything to do with them. At the time, I was consumed by the thought that I wished I didn't exist. No, I didn't want to kill myself. I just kept my headspace in a place where I wished for non-existence. My junior year would be the fifth year we lived in Provo since we ran away from my dad and although he didn't know where we lived, he knew the town we were in. At the time, I didn't know I was traumatized from my childhood, particularly the last two years before we ran away. One of the traumatic things that weighed heavy on me was something I told myself was just an event that didn't need to be anything more than a private story, the kind you don't share. I knew better than to tell anyone the things going on in our house because speaking about my father would equate to being hit by him, so all things home-related were very taboo. Being in hiding from him meant I was comfortable enough to tell my first friend, Tricia, many things about my dad, but I never did tell her about the time I talked my dad down from killing himself. He was exploding in anger because he was struggling to install our new dryer in the basement and get it vented through the cement wall. 10 year old me begged and pleaded with him. The part I struggle to remember now that I'm in my late 40s is whether or not the gun was in his hand. He had lots of guns. The threat was never before that he would kill himself. The threat of killing us was fairly regular, one that I did not cry about. But where he stood above me telling me how worthless he was, I was more convinced that he would follow through with his threat and I begged him more for his life than I would have for my own. Twelve feet from where I talked him down was the room in the basement dedicated to making bullets. I had to help him pack shotgun ammunition for when I had to go hunting with him, which is also related to being told who I was. He treated me like the boy in the family. We had a whole set up. I remember the workbench, the casings, the primer, the gunpowder, the wad, the shot and the press that we used to put it all together in a tidy package. It was actually the threats on our lives increasing from one particular event I've shared in my podcast episode, Trauma, Drama, and Energy, that got us out. My mom finally believed that he might follow through with the death threats. It was that scared 12-year-old that arrived in Provo and started going to school with the class of 91. It was a very rocky start, having not just left elementary, but arriving at Farrer Junior High with an eight-class rotating schedule that had us attending seven classes a day and starting with a different one every morning. It felt like being thrown into a wind tunnel and asked to shit and wipe your ass while the toilet and toilet paper both circled around you needing to be caught. Talk about asking a lot of a 12-year-old. I don't even hesitate now to see why I struggled so much. Being 12 and overwhelmed meant that I refused for at least two weeks to go back. I remember sitting in the principal's office with my mom when they called Tricia out of class to ask her if she would take me under her wing and help me understand my schedule and make me want to start coming to school. She said yes. Then another student named Justice Fell on my radar because she was new too and sat in front of me in English class. She was my second friend. It was like Justice and I were wearing the same shoes, and that was very comforting. I left an elementary school with 11 nationalities, 1,100 skin colors, and nothing that resembled a definition of popular. What clothes we wore didn't matter, where we lived didn't matter and we had no judgment culture there. Arriving at Ferrer Junior High in Provo, Utah, I learned about all those things, and I learned I did not have cool clothes, cool hair, cool anything, and so from day one, I was different and shown I didn't fit in. Fast forward to being a junior in high school, going to see that lady who needed two chairs. I sat there in silence, crying, not because anything she was saying was accurate or that I felt like she understood me, but because the survey of hundreds of questions I had to answer yes and no to generated her a report for her to read to me and tell me who I was and what I was feeling. Not one thing sounded accurate, and not one part of her report had anything to do with what my experiences were and why I was struggling with the desire to not exist. I'm still mad as an adult that the young, fragile me was put through that. She prescribed Prozac, and for two weeks, my stomach hurt so much I couldn't eat, and I lost weight I didn't have to lose. I told my mom I wasn't going to take it anymore, and I wasn't going to go back to that woman. I felt worse. Sitting and listening to her read me her report is my first memory of someone telling me to my face who I am and my internal dialogue saying, you're full of shit, you don't know anything, you and your report are stupid, while also filling myself full of doubt because someone older than me was telling me who I am. So although I always resisted when this happened, it still had an effect on my belief because I let their words equate to what must be true despite what I felt on the inside. I don't know if everyone has multiple times throughout their life that they get told who they are, but I've found myself being told many times over the years, and it did go in. As I say, I was stupid. I would feel bummed every time I was told I was someone who I didn't feel I was. My reaction was always more like being disappointed in being handed candy I hated the taste of, but that everyone else said tasted amazing so I was the one who was wrong. Having to put the icky truth candy into my pockets, since throwing it away wasn't an option I knew about. Just like being bullied in junior high on the school bus by these two girls, Amy and Heidi, they called me Spike. They clearly thought I was ugly and needed to hear it. I didn't let it seem like it mattered. It was just another example of what I let dictate what apparently must be true. Because I'm being told it again. Moving into my senior year of high school, I was asked to be on the seminary council, a kind of student council for the religious class that almost everyone attended. The year started rough, but that group of council classmates acted like they needed and wanted me. We had parties, meetings, planned events, and they changed the year for me. They gave me purpose, they praised my talents, they brought me laughter and my senior year in high school was very different from all the years previous. It started out hard because it took some convincing that I was part of a group and that I was wanted. I finished the year in a very different mental space than I had been since we moved to Provo. At the 30-year reunion, a table covered in name tags met us at the entrance. We had to find our tag with our name and senior picture on it. I had to wear the image of young, insecure Natalie on my chest all evening. That day class pictures were taken was a hard day for me. I had cried for a good portion of it, no recollection as to why now, but I was so much more concerned with my feelings than I was class pitchers, so I didn't make myself presentable. I just turned up for pictures in a blue t-shirt and swollen eyes. People say they can't tell from the picture I had been crying that day, But that's the only thing I think of every time I look at that senior photo of me. Young Natalie was not pretty. She was surviving. She didn't even understand what beauty was. She didn't know her struggles were warranted. She didn't know the difference between strong and weak. She was both. Yesterday at the 30 year reunion, I didn't know what to expect. I enjoyed the 20-year reunion so much I was sure it would be fun, but I didn't know it would be healing. Nobody talked religion to me. Nobody talked politics. Nobody said, I'm so successful. Life is so amazing. Poor you for not being me. Everybody was normal, real, struggling with finding life satisfying, and I heard so many people say they wished life weren't so overwhelming now and everybody sounded old. The mental images of everyone else being so different from me melted all night long. People weren't prettier. People weren't popular. I wasn't the ugly girl I convinced myself I was because I didn't get asked out on any dates. The haunted museum of paintings I had in my head telling me the story of who I was, like everyone being normal but me, Everyone being beautiful but me. Everyone being happy. Everyone being mentally healthy. Everyone being all these things. I wasn't. That haunted museum got burned down last night. In that room full of people sounding just like me. Even the classmates' spouses I talked to made me feel we are all the same. All of us struggled with feeling different. Feeling insecure. And feeling like we were the only one. I went to work today in a good mood, backed by a new sense of happiness. I feel like some circle finally completed itself and closed into a cyclical ring of wholeness. I feel so much less separate today. Why are those people so significant and powerful that they could make me feel incomplete for years and in one night? so complete. There were no clouds of popularity floating around the room. Everyone wanted to know where everyone lived. It was kind of like a desperation to know, are you near me? Can we be adult friends? (laughs) It wasn't insecure either. It was a desire for genuine connection. I have some favorite memories of the night. One was sitting at the table next to all the guys from my AP art class. That was a trip to see all the faces that impressed me so much back in the day. The faces of the guys that I wished I could be half as talented as. Personal, famous artists, I guess. And when the awesome wife of Ryan Olson, Lisa, came and got me to be in an AP art photo, I was so honored. Me? Are you sure? Lisa was so awesome. I got her to kind of promise that when their daughter graduates from high school, they'll move to Utah so we can be friends. Another favorite part of the night was people telling me stories of memories they had of me. Good stories. Funny stories. My heart swelled as I heard these things, and I felt so much joy laughing at the fun and silly times I'd forgotten about. Laura and Mike Klein have a family joke that they regularly repeat that started because of something I used to say in high school that Laura found funny. I also told Lynette Johnson and her husband Dave how instrumental they were in my waking up to how unhappily married I was. Even though that made me cry, it was good to tell them how significant their example, their love, and their belief in me has always been. I'm also really glad Julia Anderson decided to go. I love the calm air she has always made me feel around her. She's one of the few classmates I've crossed paths with consistently for many years. She is so easy to love. Charlotte Griffiths and Jenny Jones laughed with me about running into one another and realizing we were classmates in a Starbucks drive through Rich McDermott and I have so many interests in common he had me laughing so hard my face was hurting his memory of drama class was so impressive i also loved that trisha's husband kirk is nothing like my ex-husband and despite his not being in our graduating class he wasn't impatient and uncomfortable or feeling like an outsider his being comfortable made me comfortable which is a statement about my ex-husband i needed to realize Last night had so many genuine people, so many genuine kind words spoken to me, and so much laughter. Many people even asked about my mom and how she is. That's one way into my heart super fast. Show concern or love for my mom. Maybe everyone enjoyed the night as much as I did, but I have to wonder if anyone else got to feel the sense of completion that I got. As I say, by default, these people are important people. They matter to my life because of history, but that haunted museum that was high school no longer lives like that in my psyche. Something healed last night, and it's fair to say I needed it too. I know it gets a bit old because I say this often, but it needs to be said again for quite a few reasons. Who you are affects who others are.